Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have come to an end. The Giants have won the pennant. All right, this is the Thompson to Clark podcast. I am Double G. My partner is Brad. What's going on, my friend? We are in a stage of a little bit of worry, and not because of this pandemic, which we're <laughs> con- we're constantly worried about That's that. Con- but yeah, yeah, the Dodgers are back in the World Series, dude. What's going on? I know, man. I need. And the thing too is being a being a San Francisco Giants fan and and being a Los Angeles Rams fan. Today, I just need a hug. I mean, it was. <laughs> I had a rough night, man. It was. Uh, you know, the Rams, the favorites going into San Francisco, they uh, couldn't catch a cold out there. Everything golfed through. People were dropping. It was just ugly all around. Okay, I was going to yeah, yeah. ask you about this just because, you know, that that is the one interesting thing about our friendship is we are both such diehard 49, uh, uh, Giants fans, yeah. but on the football end of the spectrum, we're actually rivals because of the Rams and the 49ers' historical rivalry. And so, like, I'm watching that game last night. I think I texted you earlier in the week. I said, this thing could could be a literal blowout, thinking that the Rams were going to come in and just go, you know, crazy like the Dolphins did. And for whatever reason, the, the, the 49ers had a pretty smart game plan. But what is the L.A. side? What is the L.A. media, the fans, what are they blaming as the, the one or two reasons as to why that happened last night? You know, I think they're just kind of hanging on to the same thing that McVeigh said after the game. It was just guys that they count on to do their jobs, the the stars on the team, the high talent players they they bank on to do their job didn't do their job last night. Goff missed a couple of throws, but he had some really great throws. Uh, guys made some great the touchdown. catches. The, 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 touch, the touchdown throw was awesome. Both touchdown throws. Man, the, the you know, we won't get too much into it, but but two awesome touchdown throws. But then he missed a couple of wide open players, and um, Cooper Cup dropped a couple of passes, and then uh, Donald was getting triple, quadrupled, five-tuple teamed all night long. <laughs> you take him out of the equation, and they just don't have those outside linebackers to to you know get around the outside. Um, and Kittle can just do what he wants against our linebacker core, which is poor so you get a great player who you know you can stop him with good linebackers maybe not even that he's such a great player and then you get our subpar linebackers on him so all around I mean I I knew going into this game I told my wife about two o'clock yesterday afternoon I started to kind of light up the barbecue and everything I go I don't have a good feeling at all about Mm. tonight's game I said it's 2020 the Rams are riding high they've played really well the 49ers have played like garbage the last two weeks I said we're not going to win this game. (laughs) I said, that's just the way it goes in 2020 of the football. Um, The talent level across the board, the NFL has done such a great job with uh, parity that it it really is any given Sunday, unless you're the Jets. That's pretty much how it goes, right? (laughs) That's actually, that's actually absolutely right. Um, So I can tell you how I was feeling, which was, if they did not start out well, it could get ugly. And thankfully, they did start out well. They, they played they played keep away for most of the night, which was it didn't make for the most exciting game. But for strategic, you know, for strategic reasons, it, it was a smart play. And I found I was so happy that they got the lead early because when you guys just started running the ball, like it was, it was effortlessly. And, and I thought you guys would have been able to do that all, all day long, but because of, you know, you guys were still playing from behind. Um, it, you did have to to throw a little bit more than probably you would have if you, if you had the lead. So it is one of those games where, you know, the thing that I forget about is this goes for both sides is because of the rivalry, you can really never really count the other side out. No. Like your team is clearly better right now. We're dealing with so many stupid injuries and and Mostert is out again. Like he's out for three weeks probably. So that 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 is, but but they play up for each other. So I think that's the thing that I didn't even really think about. But anyways, like you said, 
you know, this is a baseball podcast, but, <laughs> but I just wanted, I just wanted yeah. people to know that on, on, on baseball, like we're like so close in what we love about baseball and, uh, and, and what our fandom is about, but on football, like we're <laughs> polar opposites because of who we root for. Hey, and we could even, you know what, we could start a rivals podcast and just do, you know, Rams Niner talk for like an hour no problem just go back and forth back and forth because i have no problem talking to you about the rams niners games i have problems talking to other niner fans who i i don't hear from when the niners are three and 13 or four and 12 and then when they're good and they beat the rams i hear from them i don't like to talk to those people too much about football so, but I'll talk to you about football, about <laughs> yeah. Rams, Niners, all day long, every day. <laughs> all right, we we had to get that preamble out because I, I knew I knew that was going to be part of it because of uh, just you know football. Football is it's interesting that football is the one sport. I mean, football's ratings are down too, but they're not down by nearly as far as some of these other sports. Football is still king, and you know I I, I enjoy. It. I don't enjoy football the uh, sort of the game as much as I enjoy baseball, but I, I completely understand why Americans love this, this thing. It, it is great. To, it's, it's a great sport to talk to your friends about and to kind of be like you said, you know, if you, if you don't pay attention that much, you kind of know who's good and you can jab the other guy. So that's, I think that's why it's, it's well, just, and a little, sport. A little added bonus this week is you and I are playing in fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little added bonus. Just a quick update. The uh, early game is over. We're recording this on Monday where they had two Monday night games. Yep. You, you have a, a four, uh, about a, about a 4.8 point lead right now. Mm-hmm. And I still have my kicker left and that's it. The You're way gonna... my season has been going, I've been scoring a lot of points, but I've been going against buzzsaw teams. I'm 0-5, and I do really good in fantasy football, but I'm 0-5 this year. I'm gonna. What's going to happen is the Cardinals are going to score three touchdowns tonight. I'm going to get three <laughs> extra points, and I'm going to lose by a point. It's just going to happen. I can tell you that right now. Well, here, here's here's the the frustration on my end. Look, I, I, Dak, I lost Dak. Oh well, Tannehill stepped in, played played excellently. Sure. My my problem is stupid John Brown from the <laughs> the Bills. Like he goose egged me. He did, and I was watching. I'm sitting here watching the game, going, "Oh man, I'll you know Tyreek Hill isn't doing anything," and I keep looking at John Brown and go. Well, I mean, Tyreek Hill's not doing anything. He got four points, but John Brown got zero. Four targets, zero catches. Uh, well, it was yeah, a really I, rainy game, too, and I thought, well, that's going to play into it, but I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, the, the, I think that may be the, the new name for like when, you're, when, when you get screwed, you just get John Brown, because <laughs> that's how I really feel. Well, okay, so you want to know what my real problem is? Yeah. I didn't play the Tampa Bay defense. That's yeah. My, I deserve to lose this game. <laughs> I didn't play Tampa Bay's defense. Instead, I played Carolina's defense against the Bears. I was going by you know the ratings of yeah. of those guys, uh, you know Matthew Barry and all those guys. I was like, oh, that you know the Carolina's higher rank because they expected Aaron Rodgers to be able to throw on Tampa Bay. Yeah. And if I had just put in Tampa Bay, I'd I'd be fine. But yeah, that's why you know that's why that's, fantasy. That's you know, and and I, if you win, you know, congratulations on your first win. If you do, I'll go right back to five hundred, which is usually where I sit. In You'll still have a playoff spot to look at. I don't, so you got that. All right, enough about our jovialness well, about and other then that things. Football, the football really game last football. night, it, it led right into more heartache because then I turned the channel as soon as the game was over to the NLCS game seven. And that's where we're at right now. It the, is. The pain. Okay, so I, I was watching, you know, we're watching a football game. I have my phone and I'm getting updates every time there's a score in, in, in LCS. So I'm saying, oh, Braves go up. Oh, Braves, Braves are up again. Oh, Dodgers, you know, Dodgers are coming back. Dodgers tie. Oh, Braves go up again. And then they tied it. And then once they tied it, I just had this really bad feeling that, you know, the Braves kind of, they had an opportunity to really take advantage. And then, uh, you know, and then they kind of got shut down late in that game. And and I, I was pretty sure in my heart of hearts that the Dodgers 
we're uh, we're actually going to come back and win that game. And 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 they did. And look, you know, we've been talking about this ever since we started this podcast, which is talent for talent. They're the best team in baseball. Yeah, I don't think it's really that close, actually. But because baseball is a really hard game, and because there's so many scenarios and there's so many uh, things that you cannot predict. You can predict a lot about it, but you can't predict everything that when it comes down to this time of the year, this is the time where they usually uh, they fall short and then they frustrate the, you know, the fan base. I'm not talking about historically because historically, you know, they have their fair share of World Series championships. But since 1988, you know, they haven't won and they've actually been back now. What is this? The third year in a row they lose to the Red Sox. They lose to the cheating Astros uh, <laughs> last night, and what w- would that have been nuts to have a, a rematch of of the World Series? Oh yeah, I was looking forward to that actually. <laughs> Don't and know then, who to root for in that one though. And then you know now we have uh, we have the the Rays, and the, we when we were taught when we were kind of going over this, you know, the, this season is is as weird as it's uh, as any season. The sixty game sprint is what we kept calling it. The postseason. When when you actually get to the the several rounds of the postseason, um, you know if you had gone to every if you if you played every postseason series and extended it to to you know three five seven and then seven, that's like you're almost getting close to half of the season's worth of games. You know you're probably it's probably something like forty percent. So the postseason in of itself, if you get to where the Rays and the Dodgers are at. It's almost an extra, you know, 25, 30 games. So you're adding on a, a large part of the season. And I think that's an interesting twist because what it shows me, at least, is because they're playing these games day after day after day and there's no breaks, there is a break now for the World Series. You'll get a normal sort of break for the World Series. But it was really about the depth in the pitching to me because, you know, this isn't this isn't Madison Bumgarner going out and throwing nine innings. You know, Charlie Morton is this beast and he's getting pulled after six so that they could turn it over to all the guys who can throw gas in their bullpen. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just it's just an interesting way. And I think that's the most intriguing thing for me when we get to this World Series is you get the you got uh, the Rays who are a little wacky. They're they're not traditional, though. Baseball's not even really traditional anymore. No. And, you know, Charlie Morton is a stud. But can you name another guy on that team, you know, you can probably name Blake Snell, but you know, how many other people can a, can a casual baseball fan name? I like, I, I, I didn't even know the name of the manager when I was reading up on these guys. I'm like, wait, I've never heard of this guy. Who is this guy? Where's, uh, you know, where, where's Madden? Oh yeah. And there's with the Cubs. Like what's going on. But, um, you know, but at least the Dodgers, the Dodgers have more name guys. They have guys that, that we've seen over the years, but that's, that's what's sort of interesting is the, the Rays are kind of like this, under the radar team generally, obviously because they play and where they play and because of how they manage, you know, their roster, they'll be competitive and then they got to like load off their, their team and then they got to rebuild again. That's kind of wash, rinse and repeat for them. But they do, they, they do historically have a very smart, um, you know, last several years, a very, a very smart, um, you know, front office. And now, you know, the guy who was running their front office, now they got to play him, uh, in the World Series because he took over the Dodgers job, but very it's, it's it's sort of an interesting. I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm thankful for Major League Baseball that they at least have the Dodgers because they're a very popular team when it comes to ratings. Because if it was going to be yeah. the Rays and the Braves, you know, we're talking about <laughs> you know low levels of World Series uh, watching. But what interests you about this matchup? I think what interests me the most is the Tampa Bay Rays offense against the buzzsaw maniacal uh, Dodgers pitching staff. Um, you, you saw Bueller, you saw Urias, you saw Clayton Kershaw, you know, he, he blipped a little bit in there, but still had a, a, a good series and has been having a really good uh, postseason. I don't think his body knows that it's October. I think that's what it is with only 60 games um, under his belt this year. Um, I don't think the, the October Clayton Kershaw is coming out and I don't think it's going to either. I mean, he, he seems pretty dialed in, but I think that's what I want to see. I want to see um, 
the Tampa Bay Ray offense. I want to see a Rosa Reina. I want to see if he can keep up that just massive pace. He's got when, seven. When you, when you talk yeah. about him, you need to call him by his real name, which is uh, Randy Rosarena Bonds. This is true. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a, a ridiculous masher. If you haven't watched the Rays in the postseason yet, you're in for a treat. Um, their their offense is actually really good. It was much better during the regular season. Uh, they are that type of team like the 2010 Giants, though, who <clears throat> you know had the had the timely hits, and that's yeah. kind of who the Tampa Bay Rays are. When they need to score, they score. And, you know, you know that's a great point because I was reading. Uh, I think it was Jason Stark's piece in the Athletic, and he was he, he basically said, uh, "Never in the history of uh, postseason baseball has a team uh, hit at a, at a batting average of over fifty percent less than the the team that they were playing, and won." Two both series. I think something like uh, in in this series against against the Astros, uh, they they had hit you know fifty points less, and then against the Yankees, I think they had hit like fifty points less. So, kind of similar to that two thousand and ten Giants team in that you know you look up and down, and and we'll talk about that team in a little bit because there is a fun anniversary that I have <laughs> that we'll talk about. But you know that team didn't hit for average. For nothing in in the postseason that year, they did have the timely hits. They did have Cody Ross hitting bombs um, with guys on, and Edgar Renteria getting base hits with guys on. But you know, from a actual batting average standpoint, they didn't they they weren't hitting great in any of those series until they got to the World Series. Yeah, and you know, and then that's kind of funny too because watching this series that the Rays were in this year, every time. I flipped it over there because I mean it was you know it was fun to have four or five games on at a time uh, or throughout the day, but it was kind of hard to keep up with you know like the key at bats. I want to watch the key at bats. I want to make sure I don't miss anything. Um, but and I'm sure we won't see that again next year in terms of that type of scheduling. But uh, but the the hitting every time I turned it on, I, I swear Tampa Bay had a runner at third and they found a way to get him home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's going to be really interesting. I, I think the Dodgers pitching staff obviously has a really good chance to just shut them down. Can the Rays get guys past second base, you know, other than the home run, can they get guys past second base to be able to drive them in? Um, so I think that's going to be the key, uh, the the bullpen for Tampa Bay is ridiculous too. They got a really good bullpen. Um, manager can really kind of tie them into what he needs. Uh, he, he's got them figured out of of uh, r- with their roles and everything. So it should it should be a really good season. And they're starting pitching. Tampa Bay starting pitching is no joke either. So it, this I mean it's it's going to be a seven game series. I would imagine it. This is you've got two teams that are really close. Dodgers have that edge, but I. I, th- I think you're going to see seven games. Yeah, so I just looked it up. For this seven-gamer against the Astros, as a team, Tampa Bay collectively hit 201. Jeez. Now, where they flipped it is they hit 11 home runs. The Astros hit nine home runs, but as a, you know, hitting 201, they hit 11 home runs with... Uh, Randy uh, a Rosarina Bonds uh, with four <laughs> of those, and uh, you know they had they had a bunch of guys uh, who actually no three guys hit hit at least two home runs. So you know it, it's I, I feel like now I'm not going to say that I completely understand the strategy and, and where these teams are what these teams are good at and and you know how this thing is going to play out. I know my team, and I sort of kind of casually glance at some of these other teams. Now, if the Giants were in the playoffs, I would know the competitor as well as I would know my own team because I'd right. be studying these guys. But, you know, the we, we play the Dodgers enough. We know who's good on the Dodgers. They, the, I think you even said this in one of the early shows that we did, which is one through nine with the DH, there is no easy out in the lineup. And I think that's what is so interesting about their team because... You know, like you said, the pitching is going to be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good stuff. And uh, I, I think I, I still go back to this bullpen management because, and the reason I say that is because I'm watching 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I always sort of think of like the strategy. I always think of, of prior, uh, really good giant seasons. And I, and for some reason, I think, you know, everyone's got a pitch like Bumgarner in 2014. Ah, he's got 127 pitches. He can still go two more innings, right. but that's not how they do it because no. we're turning it over to guys who throw so hard and all they got to do is get three outs and then you turn it over the next inning to another guy who throws even harder <laughs> and he's got to get three outs and then finally you got the last guy who's 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 throw you know who's got to finish it but at least you know with uh with the Dodgers uh interestingly I, I was surprised I don't know if you were surprised about this but how Dave Roberts closed out game seven yeah, that was strange. I, I when I saw, and again, I didn't, I didn't watch the entire thing because I was. You know, we were watching watch, a football game, watching the Rams lose, and so I would, uh, you know, I flipped over and I saw uh, Jansen warming up in the seventh, right? Yep. I, I think he came in around the seventh or eighth, and I thought that that's that's pretty interesting, and then, uh, but I didn't see how they closed it out. It was uh, Urias. Yeah. Okay, that's right, and it was. Yeah, yeah, it was Urias, and and it was one of those things too. I know they were talking about it, just let him ride, you know, let him let him, you know, bum garner him, just exactly, let him and keep and that going. and that's kind of you know what we're sort of used to is not not really used to, but we the but it's just like in that last game, it's win or go home, and you just roll with your best guy. So uh, he he uh, he pitched the last three innings. He didn't even get a strikeout, so it's not like he had this overpowering stuff. But he went he went nine up nine down to finish that game, and so uh, it's so funny because you know you look at some of these box scores and, and your mind still has to kind of like decipher what you're seeing because because Dustin May starts that game, he only throws one inning, right? <laughs> and so they pull him out and they go Gonsolin. He goes two innings, and then you go training. He goes he goes uh, two innings, and then. Uh, I don't know. I always forget. I screw up this guy's last name. Uh, but uh, uh, Gratterall, Gratterall, whatever his last name is, he came in. And so they got, you know, this is sort of the way to do it, I think, is especially if you have the arms that they have, they just needed, they, they got through those first three innings, they gave up three runs, and then they're like, okay, here comes like three of our best arms and we're going to just shut down the last six innings of this game and allow one base runner. Last six innings, no hits, one base runner. And that's, how, you know, and then you give your offense the chance to come back and win. Now, now, this is not saying that, you know, I'm rooting for the Dodgers in any way. Absolutely not. I'm rooting Rays 100%. I'm trying to find a way to, to buy a Rays baseball shirt. But... <laughs> Like I can call, only call uh, Evan Longoria <laughs> see if he has any extras. This is one of the reasons I'm rooting for the Rays. Is we have Evan Longoria, who the last time the Rays were in the World Series, he was on that team. Um, but you know, I really liked how they managed the end of that game. Like Dave Roberts, I'm I'm like trying to figure out like you know when Dave Roberts was trying to decide whether to go Jansen or when to bring him in or Urias, is he going to like, he was flipping through like an iPad or something, right? He's like, okay, well, I got to put in this calculation and here's uh, the, uh, you know, whatever calculation, the algorithm of whatever. And then there's like, nope, we're just going to let this guy roll because he's, he's doing a good job. And that is something that, you know, Bochy would have done in 2014. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is as a Giants fan, you're, you're waiting for, Kershaw to October Kershaw to show up, which we saw, <laughs> which we saw a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know if I could put that game on him. Yeah. Uh, he pitched well enough as the bullpen kind of just gave it up to. Um, and then you're waiting for uh, Dave Roberts to make a horrible decision with the bullpen at some mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Hey, we still have potentially seven games for all that to happen. Um, and, and look, if he does, then that is an advantage to Tampa Bay because of how well. Now, they kind of did screw up because, you know, they probably could have closed out in game six. I think it was Snell who came out a little early and then the bullpen kind of gave it away. I'll, I'll actually look that up. But, you you know, I, I don't think, I, I think both of these, I think the Rays are going to manage because they have to. They're, they, they have to manage this thing pretty perfectly to beat the Giants. 
And so I imagine that, you know, when when it when it gets down to it, they're gonna be they're gonna what whatever way that they use to make these decisions with their with their manager, like they're gonna have to be perfect to win this series and a slip up like in, in game six, so Blake Snell Four innings, get up, gave up two runs, but he had some control issues. And then they're like, okay, he's done. You know, I don't even know what his pitch count was. Oh, he's only thrown uh, 82 pitches. And then they turn it over to bullpen. And Castillo and McClanahan, two and two-thirds innings, five runs. And that was the ball game right there. So that that I wonder if that's going to be in the back of their mind. I, I want to see Morton, you know, go heads up with these guys because he's still, you know, I, I again... I know these Dodgers players because we we face them every year, but you know he's still as good as he was um, in the last couple of years. Because didn't he win a did did he win a Cy Young? Uh, Blake Snell? No, no, no. Um, Charlie Morton. Oh, Charlie Morton did not. No, Blake Snell uh, has won one. Uh, Charlie Morton did not. I think he was in the running a couple of years ago with the Astros, uh, but he has not won a, a Cy Young. Okay, so anyways, uh, yeah, so his best Cy Young appear, uh, his best Cy Young race was two. Th- uh, actually, last year he oh, was finished okay. third in the Cy Young uh, race. But anyway, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, like if he's pitching as well as he's pitching, he he can very much match up with those guys. So it's it's gonna be it's so interesting. Like I said. Longoria, I'm hanging on to Longoria. Oh, let, let's win it for Longoria. You know, so <laughs> he's the closest tie we have to Tampa Bay, unless you consider that the Giants uh, almost left San Francisco to go to Tampa Bay. Well, and yeah, exactly. And, you know, could this be us in the World Series right mm-hmm. now? No. No. <laughs> but um, I'm happy with what we did today in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, you know, you think of how tough managers have, have it nowadays. You know, a few, just a few years back, Bochi had the, you know, the tough decisions in the seventh and eighth inning. Do I take out Kane? Do I take out Lincecum? Do I take out Bum? Um, you know, second guessed on those decisions here and there. Now it's, you're making like eight pitching changes from the first or second inning on in in the playoffs like this. And so how tough do these guys have it? You know, should you have taken this reliever out at this point? Should you have brought this guy in at this point? Should you have done this? The second guessing has got to wear these guys down, I would imagine. But at the end of the day, if you are second guessed, right, a lot of this is in conjunction with your analytics team, with your general manager. So you just point to point the guy behind me handed me a, a binder or, or, you know, think about, think about, uh, you know, we'll bring it back to our team. Yeah. Think about, Kapler and Zadie, right? They they very much work in tandem. Kapler, he's got the he's got the freedom as a manager to make decisions, but it is in line with the overall team strategy on how they're going to manage games. And so, at the end of the day, you know, if you manage to the style of the team, your second guessing is actually like ah, you know, if I would have trusted my instinct, maybe that change would have happened, but what your backbone and what, who is the, the strategy has got your back because what the strategy is trying to do, at least as far as I understand is minimize the risk of screwing things up. You may not always hit, but you're also trying not to screw up as much as you would generally as part of human error. And so like, you're not as much in control of your destiny. You're not, you know, Bruce Bochy, you know, pulling games right out of your ass because you have a hunch on something. But at the end of the day, you can look at that and go, well, this, you know, this, we're, we're this team together. We're, we're sort of figuring these things out. And, and maybe you don't live with that for two or three days because you're confident in, in sort of whatever the process is. And, you know, you bring that up, that that is very interesting, too, because with Bochi, you knew he always had a plan. If it backfired, it's because the guy he put on the mound just didn't do his job. And it it was rarely a case of, well, you know, it should have been this matchup instead of this matchup, but I had a feeling for this matchup. So with Bochi, you didn't get that. You got a lot of, this is our guy. This is his spot. He knows he had to buckle down, get his job done. He didn't get it 
done right there. Um, he's talking about, you know, possibly coming back if the situation's right, Bochi, um, to a team, a current team. How does how do you think a guy like that is going to deal with analytics? I was thinking about that. I mean, that's one of the reasons I thought he retired from the Giants too. Is just like you know, here comes these analytics, here comes all this stuff. I don't want to deal with that. Do you think there's any teams out there that he would fit with that don't ride the analytic train? I, I'm not sure if that's possible. Yeah, I don't know that there are teams. I mean, I think every team, you know, depending on. Which team? Like I would imagine, the the Rays and the Dodgers have gigantic analytics budgets. The Giants, uh, I'm assuming, have a pretty big one too. I would assume the A's have a big one. But I think you kind of have to really invest in it today in order to uh, to compete because information you just don't want to be behind the information curve. And I don't imagine, you know, especially so. For instance, maybe if you're the Yankees, you're the Dodgers, you're the Red Sox, or maybe not. Maybe not the Red Sox because they they are controlling their budget a little bit more. You can swing and miss more so when you have a high payroll, the Cubs. But when you don't have that crazy high payroll, you cannot swing and miss as much. You may not hit as many home runs, but you're hoping to hit more doubles and and, and triples versus like just whiffing on a guy completely and ruining, you know, the whatever. So, I mean, that's why the Dodgers are so insane is because they have the best of both worlds. They have the, you know, just about the most money you could possibly spend. They got the best farm system or one of the top three best farm systems. And then they have this great analytics department run by the guy who worked for one of the lowest uh, lowest market teams in, in in the Rays, and now he goes and they hire him to run their super high market team. So now he can actually afford to swing and miss and take some shots and still have that discipline that he did when he was running the Rays. So it's kind of insane how how they well, were able to do that. Yeah, and they can mix that you know ridiculous farm system that they have and and the buildup that they've done with it through analytics and everything else, then they can go out and reach and say, yeah, we need a Mookie Betts also. Yeah. Uh, so here's a bunch of guys. We'll take Mookie off your hands. Now they've got two MVPs in the outfield. I mean, it's, it's almost just not fair to the point, which makes it even more enjoyable when they lose in October, right? I mean, that, that makes it more fun because <laughs> everybody everybody loves to see the Patriots lose, right? I mean, so and and not not just Giants fans love to watch the Dodgers lose. I think a lot of people like because anytime you quote unquote try to buy a championship, which I don't, I you know, if the money's there, if you can do it and you do it and you win a championship, you win a championship. I really don't care how you get that championship. I've, I've never been, been one to say, oh, you bought it, you did this. What, that doesn't matter to me. Uh, what matters to me is watching those teams lose yep. and saying, okay, so it doesn't work all the time. You need to find that magic recipe that works a lot of the times. And the Giants did that 10, 12, 14. They had that magic recipe of guys off the waiver wire, right? Guys, uh, you know, ridiculous pitching to match the ballpark. Uh, some speedsters, scrappy guys that got on base, um, you know, magically timed hits. Where do you find that? You don't. I mean, that just happens at the same. If everything else is clicking and you get those magical hits, and, and you build that up, you win a championship. And so that, that was what was so fun about being a Giants fan, um, you know, during that time was, hey, look how we're winning. You know, we're just, nobody's picking us and we're just scrapping it out. So that was the really fun part. So the last thing that I'll add to this, and we'll move on, because uh, I mentioned the anniversary that I want to quickly talk about. We won't spend a lot well, of time. And with we that haven't either. talked about our drinks yet. Yeah, 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 and our <laughs> drinks. Gosh, and our drinks. We, we started <laughs> I'm almost hot. done with mine. We started hot here. So uh, the guy that I'm talking about, obviously, is uh, the president of baseball ops, uh, Andrew Friedman, who came, who left the Rays to join the Dodgers in 2014, which is an interesting year for him to join the Dodgers because the Giants had just won their, you know, third uh, or were on the way to win their third World Series title 
in six years. So who does Andrew Friedman bring on to join his team? Well, none other than Oakland Athletics executive Farhan Zaidi as the general manager. So, you know, this is a this is now a thing where this is Farhan's first season uh, or no second season as the guy. He is trying to create what he and um, Friedman created in L.A. And he's trying to do the same thing with the Giants. Some of that is what Friedman did was he just refused to trade the guys that he thought were the top, top homegrown talent. So your Cody Bellinger's, Jock Peterson, Verdugo, Urias, Walker Bueller, those guys were who they held on to. And now, you know, these, these years, they're they're pretty impactful for this team. So if you if you're a Giants fan you and you're like, man, you know, the, these Dodgers are, are killing us. This is the DNA for where Farhan comes from. And I think he's trying to recreate that in San Francisco, which I am completely I, I, I'm for it. Now, does that mean that the previous regime of, of Sabian and those guys were wrong to do what they did in order to, to win? No, they, there's not only one way that you can win a World Series. No, that way worked very well for the Giants. But some of that was also, like you said, the pitching, which was all which was mostly homegrown. Buster Posey homegrown. Brandon Craw- Crawford homegrown. Brandon Belt homegrown. So they did have a lot of that, too. But they weren't only, you know, they they weren't only going, you know, they were going to trade for a Hunter Pence and they were going to trade for certain guys. So if you have, if you're, if you're looking at that one, like little, you know, what can we look forward to? I think this is what we can look forward to, which is, I think Zadie is is going to try as best he can to really build the Giants similarly to how the Dodgers have been built for the last six years. And, And we just have to be patient too. You know, fans have to realize this is just getting started. I mean, we're only two years into this technically. Uh, things are just starting to take off. That farm system is being built. It is getting very strong. Um, they are going to have some chips to make those trades down the line. The San Francisco Giants, they are not afraid to spend. And we also have to remember that too. Right now, they're wanting to get money off the books. So you're kind of in that, uh, almost in that dead zone, but they can, they competed this year, you know, with that extra, those couple extra spots for the playoffs. Are those going to be around next year? Maybe. So the giants can be one of those teams that can compete for that seventh or eighth spot every year. The Padres are, you know, are blowing up. The Dodgers are who they are. So we are in a very tough division right now, but just remember we're, we're just getting started. It's just the beginning. All right. What are you drinking? Uh, as I took a sip. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it is October. Uh, this time of year, I love to go to Total Wine. I love to search the uh, German beer section. Uh, some of the American uh, microbrew companies do make really good uh, German style Oktoberfest, but I went with the old school, one of the originals, Paulaner Oktoberfest Marzan, and it is brewed. To the strict, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but the Reinhardtsgebot, mm-hmm. and I'm probably not saying that right because my German is awful. Uh, Reinhardtsgebot, um, it, it, which is the German purity law that came around the 50, early 1500s, and that is uh, the law that you must brew your beer with four ingredients: water, hops, yeast, malt, and that is it. So it is a nice. Uh, 5.8% chewy, malty, very fall, uh, very fall-like beer, very yeasty. Um, and I love to have the, these are great football beers. If you're sitting down watching a Monday night, a Thursday night, Sunday night game during the fall with one of these, you feel like you're in heaven. All right. So what I'm drinking is very simple this evening. If I, you know, I haven't been to a bar in how long since the shutdown, but a lot of times, you know, I have a lot of, did you, did you go to bars with, with, with your girl before? No, actually no? not, not at all. Yeah, but we, we don't, we, 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 we uh, every once in a while we'll, we'll go to like a loungy place to get a drink. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I work with uh, a lot of young people in, in San Francisco. So 
what what is the thing that these people want to do after work? Mm. Oh, they want to go get a drink. So you know, I, I I'm a team player. I'll go hang out. <laughs> I'll get a drink, and then you know, supervise. I'll be on. Yes, a lot of times, <laughs> I, and I'll be on my my merry way. But you go to a uh, a bar, and you know, usually I'm drinking bourbon, right? I'm drinking bourbon, or I'm drinking a little Scotch whiskey, and wh- I don't. When you go to a bar and you got to pay like 10 bucks or 15 bucks for a drink, <laughs> right. you don't want to be too risky because you're like, oh, like, I don't know, you know, it maybe if you're at home and you and you buy a bottle, which is, you know, comes out to probably, you know, three bucks a drink or, or two bucks a drink, you're like, oh, I could, I could try something else. But you when you're at a bar, you want to go, you want to go with something solid. You want to go with something that you know you like. And usually my go-to is Bullet because... It's not too expensive. I dig it. It's it's pretty casual. People, it's pretty popular, so it's, it's usually good to go. But there's another one that I kind of like. It's called Buffalo Trace. Oh, yeah. So Buffalo Trace is, is like maybe not my second go-to, maybe my third go-to if I'm at, if I'm at a bar and I'm just going to have a quick drink and just hang out. And uh, I started the grocery store the other day. And I was like, oh, I haven't had Buffalo Trace in, you know, probably in a year since, you know, since the last time I, I was at a bar uh, with with coworkers. Not quite a year, probably about seven or eight months. Um, but I had, yeah, I was like, oh, that's it. You know, it reminds me of my colleagues. It reminds me of going out in San Francisco before I, I go home. So that was that was what I went for. And you know, it's it's hitting the spot right now. So. That's a great bourbon. That that is one of the ones. So our total wine here in Reno, they don't stock that as well. There's another place called Lee's Liquor Barn. The place is enormous. Um, they always have it in stock. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones. If somebody goes, yeah, I kind of like bourbon. I just don't. I haven't found a really good one. I like to gift that one mm. because I think that's a good entry level one. That's really complex too. Uh, and it's in a good price range. I think it was like $25, $28. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And so it's in a good price range, but it just kind of gets you interested in bourbon. Like, oh, there are some really good ones out there and I don't have to spend, you know, 50, 60 bucks. So yeah, good choice. All right. So uh, let's talk about the 10 year anniversary of something that you, that many people are kind of wanting. I've got them wondering, what was 10 years ago to this day? <laughs> Very specific to me, and, and I'll explain. So, it is uh, 2010 NLCS. Tim Lincecum beats Roy Halladay in Game One. The Giants win four to three. Roy Oswalt beats Jonathan Sanchez in Game Two, six to one. Series heads to San Francisco for three games before we then will go back to Philadelphia for the sixth game. Game three. This is the first NLCS that the Giants have been in since 2002. And we'll talk about that 2002 team in a second. And my colleague, who is an engineer, he had been doing this uh, ticket script pretty much all year long, which is because he's an engineer, he knows how to he knows how to do some 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 pretty interesting things, you know, with with scripts and such. Um and so uh, he uh, so he is looking for tickets for this game, and I'm like, "Come on, man! Like, you know, we're we're not going to be able to get tickets for this game. It's completely sold out." And he's like, "No, no, no! My my little script is working." And basically, how it worked is, any time there was an available ticket in a specific section, he would get he his his own script would ping him. An email. Now he's not the only one doing this, so right. you ought to be like Johnny on the spot. <laughs> so he was already going to the to the game, and so me and another uh, of my colleagues. So all three of us are co-founders of Nextdoor. We're the only three co-founders left at Nextdoor today. So we're <laughs> we're pretty tight. Like we're we're really yeah. good friends. And so he goes, "Do you guys want to go?" And I'm like, "I didn't even think about it. Like I didn't think there was a possibility to go." And I was like, I, you know, I'm down. And so he uses a little script. I don't know, probably takes about 20 minutes, half an hour. P- 
ping, you know, we got like $100 seats like in sort of like between third base and, and left field, maybe 15 rows up like that, in, you know, in that park. Yeah. In, anywhere is really, That's, is really those great. Those are still great yeah. seats. Yeah. So he's like, got him. And so then we had this other, this other problem, which was all three of us are supposed to be working. We only got like 15 people in the company at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, so I look over you, to my you boss. You just put a you put a dummy in the chair. So I look over right. to my boss and I'm like, you know, I have this opportunity. She's a gigantic sports fan. We were a sports company, right? Like nice. We like so she got it. She's a huge sports fan from Boston. She's like, look, you you'll go, you'll come back. You'll probably have to work a couple hours in the night, but. I trust you to like figure it out. And at that point, you know, I'm, st- I'm, I'm already working a few days from home anyways. So I have sort of that, that kind of schedule and, you know, I'm up late and I'm up early and I'm kind of working all the time anyways. So that, you know, she's like, yeah, don't worry about it. So we, we walk, we literally walk to the park and then we're there, you know, they're doing this. Um, I forget that they, they, they were introducing old players like Barry gets introduced last, obviously, Right, huge, you know, huge uh, roar of the crowd, and then um, I remember seeing former NBA player Brent Barry because he's like six seven, so he's gonna stand out in this crowd. <laughs> he's got like a backpack on. He's just walking around. I remember seeing him. I think Tom Tolbert as well, who's also like six eight. Those guys stood out. Uh, there were some broadcasters that I recognized too. I think uh, I think Joe Morgan. You know, we just talked about Joe Morgan. Yeah. Uh, last week, I, I I believe Joe was there. So. It was just kind of cool to be there. You know, I'd, I'd never been to a Giants playoff game before. That was my first time in the NLCS. And lo and behold, I get a Giants special of, you know, uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, Matt Cain. It's a, it's a, it's a Matt Cain. Uh, what did he go? Seven innings, uh, two hits. Uh, then then Lopez comes in and Wilson comes in and they win three zero. So it's like a it's like exactly the kind of game that they would win back then. The great pitching and you know the timely hitting. It's so funny because you know you look at Giants pitch a shutout. Kane gives up two hits. Brian Wilson gives up one. So the Phillies only got three hits. And at that time the Phillies were favored to to win that series. And you're like oh you know, you know the Giants offensively they they must have been great. Nope. Giants had four hits, <laughs> struck out nine times. <laughs> well, the 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 very handsome Cole Hamels was on the mound. Oh yeah, Phillies too. So, or, or as uh, a lot of Giants fans would would call him Whole Camels. There you go, <laughs> Whole Camels. And so here's how the Giants here's how the Giants score. Uh, bottom of the fourth. Uh, Hamels is like easily dominating. Oh, little little, little two out magic by Cody Ross to to dump a single into left field uh, to score Renteria. Okay, how, and then uh, and so then how did they score again? Oh, little bottom in the fifth, uh, reached on a, on an error. Uh, you know, Aaron Rowan scores, um, and then how do they score again? Oh, uh, let me see what what is the third what is the third score? I didn't I didn't see the. Uh... I think we, I think we had an, uh, an Aubrey Huff RBI. Was well, that was that what at it is? some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, like no, they didn't do anything except for do what we talked about with the Rays do, which is for whatever reason they're able to drive you know drive guys in uh, after you know not really getting guys on base and then you know they're just they're just situational hitting. So uh, I, I will tell you that the day of that game, or maybe it was right when they got back in San Francisco. You know, my, my office is it's right smack dab. You know, I, 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 that office, I'm kind of trying to remember where that office was. But anyways, I think I went to grab coffee or something. So you go to the coffee shop. I'm coming back. I see Aaron Rowan, Rowan, walking down the street, like just in like the, I don't even know what this sweatsuit was, like a velour sweatsuit. And it's not like it's cold <laughs> on this day. No, like right. he's like he wants to be seen walking the streets yeah. of San Francisco in this velour suit. And he's like like you know the way that uh he he would bat where he would kind of like bow out his legs and oh, oh yeah. And that, that goofy You can never forget that. That goofy batting stance. And so that's how he was walking down the street with like the <laughs> bowed out legs. I was like, dude, you just want to be seen. 
What a what a dude. But he he always reminded me of uh <clears throat> he I'm just looking to see where he's from cuz I I wanted to know. So I've got him pegged wrong, but he he's from Portland, Oregon. He always looked to me like a Guido. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a Jersey Shore guy. Yeah. He's hanging out at Jersey Shore. He's got the nicely cropped uh goatee. He's you know got the hair slicked back, the Tom Hardy t-shirts, uh you know, just that kind of dude. He I bet he fit really fit, fit in really well in Philadelphia when he played for the Phillies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cal <laughs> Cal State Fullerton guy. Yeah. Uh yeah, interesting. So, yeah, so you know, that that was the game and, and you know, look. Rowan didn't even play much at the end of that season. It was uh, Torres. Torres actually took his spot. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he does play in this game and Bochy's pushing the buttons. Rowan does get a hit, hitting in the eight slot, scores one of the runs. Also strikes out two times, but you know he's he he did he was able to to succeed and the Giants just played this like small ball magic and then they had the lights out pitching and it was a, it was it was a very memorable game. The only I only have a couple photos from it and it's like when I had a terrible BlackBerry camera or BlackBerry <laughs> phone which had a terrible camera so I got this like really grainy photo of uh, Brian Wilson warming up in the bullpen that I shared on our Instagram and on our Twitter so if anyone wants to check that out you so. took a picture with your toaster that, you know, <laughs> about 10 years ago that's kind of what it felt like yeah yeah big, this massive. this big phone that you yeah, a great keyboard on that phone though right well then and I was looking at the um you know kind of the play-by-play play for that and and then you sent me a link to the game i was like oh cool i'm gonna check this out so it had to be super tense you know just giants baseball as as it was during that time the eighth inning you had javier lopez come in he had to face utley polanco and howard and then he goes one two three on those guys um and then Brian Wilson comes in in the ninth inning. Uh, I think he got an out. Then he gave up a knock, and then he got the double play uh, that that ended that. So, but that's I mean that's true, you know, Giants fashion. Eighth inning, you get the two, three, four guy, and then in the ninth inning, you get the five, six, seven guy. It's never the you know, and then in the in the ninth inning, we're going to get the eight, nine, one, or the <laughs> seven, eight, nine. It doesn't. It, it just didn't round out that way for us very often. And even if we did, a seven, eight guy would get knocks, and then all of a sudden, Wilson's like out of the stretch, having to get out of it, and he gets out of it. And yeah, no problem. Like, yeah. Oh, Good yeah. God. Yeah. With with his with the button on his jersey going down to his navel. <laughs> right. All right. We were we were we were gonna talk about uh some free agency stuff, but I think we're gonna save that for next week because we you know, we, we we've gone a little bit of time and I wanna save yeah. some time. We've been doing this almost since the beginning of the podcast, which is this tournament of trying to figure out what the greatest giants team of all time is and you know we 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 don't we can't go back in time but we have a video game a computer game simulation called OOTP which you and I play often just in general and it's a great sim and we uh, Brad had sort of figured out we we you know we'd picked out all the teams and he's running these sims on his game and it is a 2002 Giants against the 1965 Giants. So you remember 2002, I said we would bring them up soon. That is the World Series losing 2002 Giants against 1965. So I thought 2002 was going to be like the the sleeper in this tournament to possibly unseat a couple of those World Series winning teams because that team was so stacked, at least offensively. But... They hit a, a little bit of a wall against this 1965 team. Well, and that shows you again, like we always talk about, those mid-60s Giants teams were so tough. And they always had the Dodgers in front of them. Um, nowadays, with the wild card spot, those teams would be rolling right in. Oh, yeah. Probably taking care of business in the playoffs, no problem. And we might have a couple more championships. But that 65 team, very tough uh, from top to bottom they have. You know, in their lineup, they've got uh, Willie Mays, they've got Willie McCovey, Tito Fuentes was uh, playing a little bit of shortstop at that time. Uh, Len Gabrielson, who was a, a, another great first baseman and outfielder for the Giants. Uh, Jesus Alou, Matty Alou, 
Um, so, I mean, there and, and Hal Lanier, who was a, a fairly decent hitter in his own right, too, played a lot of second base as well. Um, but we always talk about with those 60s teams, it's the pitching. You've got Juan Marichal, you've got Gaylord Perry, you've got Bob Shaw, who was an awesome Giants pitcher in the 60s. And the pitching just kind of took care of things. And, and I thought at the beginning of this whole tournament, as we're putting it together and I'm looking at 2003, 2001, 2002, I'm like, man, those teams are just going to roll right through this whole thing because you've got the, I don't want to call it the steroid era. I'll call it the unencumbered era <laughs> where, where guys just kind of did what they want and everybody looked the other way. So I thought, man, those, those offensive numbers, those, you know, 1000 OPSs and the 900 OPSs that are up and down those rosters are really going to kind of shine in this tournament. But Believe it or not, I mean, we're down to the final three out of four right now, and only one team from the 2000s is going to be in it because the the next setup we have doesn't involve a 2000s team, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, that 1965 team, they they went out to a one to nothing lead, uh, winning the first game four to three, kind of squeaked it out, uh, and then in game two. Uh, the 2000 team, 2002 team, uh, with another one run game, one three to two, so it's tied up one one. Then 1965 went on a tear. I mean, they won eight to five, then they won seven to five. So at that point, they're, they're up three one. And then the 2002 team uh, went ahead and took game five, and then game six was another tight one. And then 1965 took that one five to four. Uh, to win the series four games to two. And I thought for sure it was going to go seven games, but um, didn't quite get there. Hal Lanier, uh, second baseman for the Giants, was the MVP. He had 526 in the series. Uh, no home runs, but drove in five runs. He seemed to be kind of there whenever the, the 65 team needed a run. He was there to kind of poke it in. Um, the pitching was great. Gaylord Perry only had to throw in one game. Uh, went six innings, gave up a couple runs. Uh, Marischal, 14 innings, 10 strikeouts, 3.21 ERA. Uh, the bullpen was pretty good. And for the 2002 side, Russ Ortiz pitched really well. And uh, I guess because Dusty might have just left him in there a little bit longer, right? Is that, <laughs> didn't is that what happened? <laughs> didn't take away that ball. You know, and, and then and you didn't have the, the other dugout looking going, you know, hey, he gave him the game ball. He gave him that. Remember all that? Oh, man. That nonsense. Uh, Dusty Baker handed Russ Ortiz, here's the ball. You know, you've got yourself a lead. And the Angels saw that and they said, the game's over. They think the game's over. Yeah. And that kind of spurred. Anyway, yeah. I'm just tearing Band-Aids off old ones. I know. I know. So Russ Ortiz, 13 and two-thirds innings, 10 strikeouts, 2.63 ERA. And then your boy, Levon Hernandez. Ugh. That was a rough series. Three and two thirds, two seven starts, hits. and he only went three and two thirds. Right? Three and two thirds, a twelve point two seven ERA. I mean, just brutal. I think he had. Let's see, did he have two starts? I think he might have only had one. No, he he only had one start. Um, uh, yeah, he would have gone in game seven had mm, it been a game okay. seven. So, um, but yeah, Jay, poor Jay Witasik. Oh. He gave up a shot too, a um, couple of shots, and then thirteen point five zero ERA. Uh, let's look at Bonds, three eighteen in the series, only had two ribs. Uh, Benito Santiago had a, a really good two game stretch. Um, hit three ninety one, a home run, seven RBIs. So if they would have come back and won it, I'm sure he would have gotten the MVP. He was hitting really well for them. Kent hit three forty six. Uh, the great Tom Goodwin was one for three. Uh, JT Snow only hit 227. Reggie Sanders, who was the MVP for the 2002 team in the first round against the 1993 team. Um, in that series, he hit 364 with three home runs. Uh, in this series, he hit 211. So that 1965 pitching just kind of shut guys down. So I'm going to mention two guys yeah. on each row, one, one on each roster. The 2002 Giants had Shiyoshi Shinjo. Yes. He played center field. He had two at-bats. Uh, did not get a hit, though he got on base. On the other side, someone who historically is very um, 
should be a little bit more, I think, of, of a household name, who is uh, Masanori Murakami, who was the very first Japanese baseball player to play in the major leagues. And, I, like, you know, I, I know of Murakami just because uh, of being Japanese and him playing for the Giants. I don't know a lot about him, but he was um, sent to the Giants, to, to the single-A team back then, which was Fresno, as sort of like what they would call an exchange student. Yeah, you're going to spend a couple of years in America, and then you're going to come back to Japan, and you're going to be ready to to play and, and be uh, and be a stud, basically, in the, in the uh, NPB. And so what was originally going to be like a, a pretty short stay, like maybe... Uh, uh, less like less than a year, they just left him with the Giants, and so they leave him with the Giants. And then in August, he's supposed to go home in in June. In August, the Giants promote him September first, nineteen sixty four, to the major leagues. He plays in uh in in the majors for just two years. So he plays in sixty four and sixty five. And then he's done. He goes back to Japan and he finishes out his career in Japan. So he's, in 1965, he's on this Giants team. Only one of two seasons he played for them. And, and he, he even pitched in, uh, in the series here. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I remember his name. Um, I do remember him. You know, that, that a good trivia right there that, yeah, he was the first Japanese uh, baseball player in America. And so I remember that as a Giants fan hearing that years ago. Really cool thing, too. In uh, just looking it up here in 2008 um, at AT&T Park, the Giants had a Murakami bobblehead yeah. um, on Japanese Heritage Night. So if you're a collector of all things Giants, um, that is probably a really cool one to find if you don't already have it. Um, that's probably search eBay or, or whatnot, but that that's something cool to have in your collection, I think. So, so here here's one interesting tidbit. And look, this is the internet. It's I can't prove that this is actually correct, <laughs> but <laughs> I will say it because it's a kind of a cool story, anyways. But um, so Murakami, I think there's a, there's sort of this thing with him where maybe he didn't achieve as much as he was expected to. So he retires, he makes a comeback, and then in um, 1983, he'd actually retired in Japan. He comes back to spring training for the Giants in 83. So you're talking about like, you know, almost 20 years later, but he he didn't come back. I, I don't think at least he came back to compete for a roster spot, uh, but he eventually like was like, pitch and batting practice uh, in spring training for the Giants and stuff. So I, I, I do wonder if there was a, a little bit more of a relationship with them. Uh, I would have to look into that. And I wonder if he's, he's, I'm sure he's got a book. I could probably find that information in, in his uh, biography. But yeah, I, I just thought that was a really interesting name and kind of, you know, one that I knew, you know, pretty much from uh, growing up, but I just never, I, I, I knew of the, the person and I knew what he meant, but never really dove into his career until I just saw it right now. Yeah, very interesting things. I mean, if you are a foreign, uh, not necessarily even just a foreign baseball player, but if you're a, a foreigner coming to this country, there's uh, and and there's probably no better place to be than San Francisco, no place that's more welcoming uh, than San Francisco. So to have a chance to not only play baseball there, but then to come back and get a job with the Giants, you know, just pitching batting practice, I'm sure he was just in heaven. I mean, it's, you know... You're 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 in America during the '80s. You're you're in San Francisco, just one of the greatest cities, and and I mean, that must have been pretty awesome. I'd love to hear. Try to search the web, see if I can find some uh, some interviews with them. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you know, we, I think my my original idea for this show was like, ah, we'll go forty. And here we are, <laughs> an hour, over an hour. Well, and we got to set up the next matchup. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for quick. it. Go for it. So the final four here, we've got in one bracket, 2003 
the NLDS losers against the 1965-95 win team. In the other bracket, the 2010 World, Sam- World Series champions are waiting for the winner of the 1997 versus 1966 matchup. So we could possibly have uh, four different teams in the final four from four different decades, which that would, would be, be awesome. awesome. Yeah, but we could also have two teams in the final four that are only one year apart from each other. So we'll kind of <laughs> see how this one plays out in the, in the previous rounds. Um, 1966 got into the second round by beating 2014 four games to one. I mean, they manhandled them. Uh, Mays was the MVP in that series, 429, one home run, eight ribs. And then 97 got there by beating the 1989 world series losers, four games to two, the great, Stan Javier hit 350 with one home run and four RBI. Do you know the Do you know the the Stan Javier answer to a, quivi, a trivia question? Do you know that one? No, I probably I'm probably going to get it wrong, but let me just double check. <laughs> um, I'm just looking it up. You set us up for next next week. I'll look this up. All right. So um, so next week we will talk about the. Uh, the free agency thing that we were going to talk about today, I just kind of pushed it out because I didn't want to quickly go through it. But we're going to go through all the free agents that the Giants have and whether or not Brad or I, you know, because our opinion really means something to, to Farhan Zaidi. He's going to listen to this show. He's going to say, yep, I'm going to take that in consideration. We're going to look at the, the free agents and, and figure out who we would like to keep, who we would sort of be OK with uh, them not re-signing uh, Samarja. Um, and, and yeah, we'll, so we'll do that next week and, and, you know, we'll, we'll have some more on the world series because it's quite possible that the world series will be done by next week. But I think if we, if we think the world series is going to go more than five games, they will probably finish on, uh, a couple days after we, we finish our, our next week's show. But anyways, did you find the information you're looking for? I did. So Stan Javier hit the first interleague home run oh wow history of major league baseball june 12th 1997 when the giants beat the rangers in uh arlington stan javier hit a home run that day the first ever in interleague play that's your that is that is really good trivia (laughs) next week we should bring up the ernest riles trivia Ooh, I like that one. You, I was you in know the that car. One. I'm not going to say that it, one. but I was in the car traveling with my family listening to that game when that incident happened. All right, so we'll we'll bring that up. I'm going to make sure that I write it down in our rundown. It's just going to say Ernie Riles. <laughs> we used to call him Ernest the Furnace because he would get things going. And when he was hot, he was hot. So we, me and a buddy of mine called him Ernest the Furnace. I just like, I just didn't like it when they called him Ernest and then his, all of his baseball cards said Ernie. I was like, what? <laughs> well, you know, you know why I, I had a really hard time, uh, warming up to the guy and maybe I should save this for next week, but I, I got to throw it out there, but he was in the trade for the great hack man, Jeffrey Leonard. Oh, the A's. When, when, yes. No, over to Milwaukee. Oh, so, okay. Milwaukee. Yeah. So when, when hack man was traded to Milwaukee, Ernest Riles came over to us and I thought, you are no hack man, dude. I, <laughs> I want my hack man back. I was yeah. not happy. And that was uh, 1988. Yeah. A little bit of, uh, you know, if, if we're going to go with these new guys, we kind of got to move these vets out a little bit. <laughs> these expensive vets, even though Hackman hit like four jacks in the right, yeah, the year before, and then you know, you know, a couple months into the new season, and goodbye, Hackman. I know. <laughs> All right, so that'll be it from here. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always. Uh, you know, because I do a bunch of podcasts, but I think I have the most fun doing this one. Uh, I am Double G for Brad. See you when we see you. Peace out. <laughs>